Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that. that always amazed me. I'm going to leave our yeah. car and high five. It's okay, though, because, you know, it's snowing. There's only an inch of snow, but it's <laughs> snowed. That. that always amazed me. Oh, yeah. Audio's on. Yeah, turn it off. That's why I do it. And give us a nice, comfortable chat, and we can figure out all the bugs and stuff. And when We're I download the video it. and put it up on the <laughs> on the audio site, I can edit that part out. I'm good. <laughs> all right, so let's get started. Hey, everyone. Clint Butler here for SEO This Week. This is episode 112. As always, we're joined by the wonderful Ted Kibaita. Say hi, Ted. Hello, everyone. Oh, man. Busy day. Busy day. I don't know what you've been doing, but I've been, you know, messing around with a lot of e-com stuff lately. Uh, got a couple of big clients one is probably about 700 pages, and the other one is roughly 25,000 pages um, for e-com stuff. And Google put out, or John Mueller was talking about. Oh, something happened to Ted? Something happened to Ted's audio? Something happened to my audio? Uh-oh. Freaking me out. Oh, yeah. One second. Right, I'll be right back. <laughs> Yeah, Ted forgot to switch over from wireless to hardline. That's what that is. Anyway, so as I was saying, uh, what we are doing is messing with, you know, category pages and trying to get stuff to work. And Google and John Mueller kind of freaked out the Internet world uh, the other day when they said that they're not using uh, previous and next uh, that uh, relations uh, for the algorithm, which is, you know, it was put in place to remove duplicate content, however, comma, now they said I'm not using it, and they haven't been using it for years, and everyone was doing it, and going, what was I doing that for, uh, did I waste my whole time, etc., and it caused quite a kerfuffle inside of the, the white hat community, I didn't see a whole lot of black hats crying about it, honestly, that was a lot of extra work anyway, um, but that was one of the topics this week. Let's see what else we got with all that random rambling. I'm going to switch over and share my screen. Hopefully you can see that, Ted. Yep, I can. With that being said, while we're doing that, Ted, uh, you got uh, how you been? How was your week going so far? Uh, well, it's, it's going crazy, uh, utterly swamped. So I'm working on Cora 5, which is absolutely massive. Uh, People that are familiar with my testing work know that, you know, I try to, to be a uh, bar above the rest. Well, we're even updating our testing, so it's going to be a bar above what we're currently doing. And uh, the name of the game on the new testing is running tons of tests concurrently at the same time. So if I make a test for... Uh, you know, keyword density, we're, we're now starting to think it's not good enough to run it multiple times back to back because by the time you do that, you're testing on different versions of Google. Yeah. So now we're creating tools to deploy the same test on like, you know, 10 different sites concurrently 
and then reporting, aggregating all of the tests back together and getting an aggregate report on how the whole cluster did. And so that's these next generation test tools that were, you know, they're, they're coded. We are deploying our first test this week. Uh, so it's, it's a game changer, we think. It sounds good, and the idea behind changing it is, is very plausible, so I'm looking forward to seeing the results out of that. More interested in, like, the story behind how you actually go about, um, uh, which, what was I going to say, how you, you know, building that. So, you know, we're all testing, most people are testing with single variable. You're using single variable uh, followed up by leaderboards uh, and doing that at scale. That would be pretty interesting to talk about, I think. Maybe in a future episode. Yeah, in a in a few weeks, once once we get some things to show with the tool set, yeah, I'd be happy to walk you through it. Yeah, that'd be nice. Another thing with Cora Five coming out, uh, the Cora Automator is already built. Remember, I was telling you guys before I wanted to do software. Well, Ted helped me out, and I'm learning Java, and Ted helped me out some more, and I'm learning Java. It's slow. It's slow because I'm a big dumb monkey, but. Um, it's actually the the shell is there. There are some refined things that we want to do, but hopefully that will launch with Core 5. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, just give a shout out to Ted for, again, Ted helped me out. And so <laughs> we're, at, you know, kind of enhancing that and take advantage of some of the stuff that he's building uh, for multiple things, not just on-page optimization. Cora is actually a really killer link building tool. Uh, and when Core 5 comes out, I've seen some of the things that that I've already got, you know, things pinging in my head and how I'm going to use that and, and leverage that for link building. So um, looking forward to it. All right. So with all that being said, get my mouse to cooperate. Well, let's get back to this. And SEO This Week, episode 112, Killed Features and Ecom. Again, as always, if you want to see the actual posts and read these for yourselves, no sense in searching for them. Just go to the description there's a link to my page. You can click the ones that you want to see and learn more about. And we're going to start right at the top. This is the rise of on-page SEO tools, pushing the frontier of content and, or SEO and content. I found this pretty interesting because, one, it highlighted uh, three of the tools that I use, Pop, Surfer, SEO, and Cora. Uh, and, two, it just highlights to me how far behind the white hat community is uh, from – for lack of a better term, the black hat community. Uh, we've been using, and I've been teaching Pop and Cora since their inception. Like before, when Ted had Cora and beta, I was preaching on-page SEO and using this kind of data, et cetera, uh, in anticipation of knowing how good it can be. Two years later, the white hat community writes a post about it. I guess it's better late than never, Ted. What do you think? Yeah, you know, uh, the, the white hat community is very reluctant to change with the times. Uh, they uh, look back longingly at yesteryear when SEO used to be an easy value proposition. The problem is, is that uh, the SEO industry as a result uh, used to be filled with snake oil and the industry has a black eye. And it's hard to be taken seriously. A lot of people, a lot of organizations don't view it as a legitimate marketing channel. And so now you have to come back and repair all that damage. And the only way you can do that is to differentiate 
your SEO from old school mainstream SEO. And the only way you can do that is with evidence-based methods. You got to measure, you got to show results, you got to document it. Yeah, you got to back up your recommendations with hard data. And, you know, more and more what we're seeing, what I hear from my customers is they go and talk to their clients or their prospects and their prospects are picking them because they're showing that they have the data to make these recommendations. So they'll talk to two or three SEOs and they're say, saying, let's go with the guy who had the data. And so that's kind of how the market is shifting. So, yeah, I think also it kind of it's I think their reluctance to change to data driven marketing, which is you we both know it's been going on more and more and more. Um, but the reluctance to change is they talk so much about how it's you know, you don't have to do SEO. You just create great content and people will find you in Google. Uh, and now when it's turned back into it's data driven, how do you? coincide those two arguments yeah you know what i mean so yeah and and you had the seos from uh the old days who used to sell their services based on their experience so the product you would sell is your experience but the current state of google is you have to relearn everything you know every time there's a major update because google can change anything they can change everything and they can do it several times a year so the value of all that SEO experience has dropped way down. And it's now a, uh, an exercise in how fast can you relearn SEO from scratch. Yeah, for sure. And so you have to have the tools to do that. Well, tools certainly do help. And you also need people like Ted Kibitis in your life. <laughs> All right, the next one, PBNs. Yes, they still work. Uh, this is actually a post. The a little bit of context here. This is a seller. He is selling PBNs, and then he's selling uh, um, built for you networks as well. But he used his stuff on his um, on his own terms of keywords, and he's trying to revive some sites, etc. And he didn't provide the sites and. Probably good that he didn't, and he didn't provide the PBNs, but now with the keyword, but that's okay uh, because you can see a little bit of data here. It's not uh, like a end-all, be-all post about whether PBNs are good. I think there's a lot of context that has to be done, i.e., the quality of the PBNs, are the sites really real looking, etc. But it's a good uh, thing for you to do, especially if you're testing uh, and you want to see if your PBNs are actually providing links to you. Uh, to go ahead and duplicate this case study uh, for yourself and see one which one of your links are actually hurting you and which ones are doing some good because there is a couple instances here where they're ranking pretty well drop the pbn link and then the site disappeared like i.e this one right here and there's another one where it's gone completely uh, and then the other ones there's a uh, a push one thing i do notice in all of their data is it's Google takes its sweet ass time giving you full credit for that link. Uh, so you have to kind of build that into your conversations with your customers. I'm going to build links for you, but you're going to pay me for a month and I'm not going to do anything for two weeks because I got to wait and see if that link, link does any good. Uh, and that's a really hard conversation to have with the client. Yeah. And if it's a new website, uh, this topic comes up all the time. 
And what, what people often refer to as the sandbox, the Google sandbox, is how much time it takes you to get credit for your backlinks. And brand new domains, you know, in the past, it's probably not as bad today, but in the past, it, you know, it's taken as long as 10 months for a new website to get credit for backlinks. Yeah, I think like last week it was a bill that was on. He said he gave us a tip on how to get around that. Um, but still, it's consistent. Like it used to be before the mobile first index popped out, I could submit stuff that I did at Core and Pop and see the results of that right away. Uh, and even now with just on-page stuff, that's taken sometimes 24 hours, sometimes a week, uh, waiting to see what's going to happen with that. And it's, it gets pretty darn frustrating. I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah. Just kind of you, you have to build that in. My main point of pointing that out is build it in to that conversation with your clients. You know, you're paying me a lot of money. I get it. Um, but we just have to wait. And it's not something that we control. Let's see. Multilingual SEO. This one, you know, this goes in and out of popularity, but I thought this was a good post because it talks mainly about the URL structure. Uh, one thing that was significant and a lot of people talk about it was subdomain versus subdirectory, which one is better. Uh, I think the, the going rate is just whatever one was easier for you. I don't think there's a subdomain versus a directory. Uh, which is better, especially if you believe in the theory of domain authority. Um, Ted, I know you do a lot of the big e-commerce stuff. That you, were you dealing with that multilingual URL issue as well? Uh, yeah, you know, that's that's always there. What's what's really interesting, uh, I know in chat we have uh, Lee is lurking. Lee has some uh, research on language stuff. And what was really interesting is that there's potentially a language exploit uh, involving LSI. And I hope someday Lee shares that research because uh, it's one of the most exciting things I've seen this year. Nice. That would be pretty cool. Let's see what else is in here. Oh, talk about URL best practices, and there's some tips to – for Russia, for Yandex, if you're doing that, and Baidu, if you're doing China. Um, I think really this kind of goes in and out of uh, of highlight or in, or let's see, interest in the SEO community, just because people, ever, you know, just once a year just kind of bring it up. So um, think about your market, think about who you can serve, and then decide if you want to uh, go after that audience. Or look in your analytics, and if you're getting a lot of traffic from Portugal, you should probably have a Portuguese version of your website um, just to help them out and make it a little bit more useful to them, and you maybe you'll get a little bit more traction from there. But really, it's kind of, you know, conversions versus, you know, value and work, and is it really worthwhile? Because if you're going to do a, a, a transcription of your site, it's probably best to actually hire a native speaker in that language and do it versus using a plugin. Plugins are easy, but not completely accurate, and there are some nuances there. Like if you ever tried to learn German, just you know, right there, um, you know. Um, so be careful, but you know, consider it if needed. Yeah, and uh, there there are co uh, cultural things like uh, Kyle Roof from uh, Page Optimizer Pro created T-shirts that said "Pop to the top," and uh, I guess in Germany. Uh, 
pop is a reference to a naughty act. <laughs> <laughs> and so people didn't want to wear his t-shirts. So there's a lot of things that, you know, you, you can't just use Google Translator. You have to have somebody that knows the culture, too. Yeah, we've all seen the German porn videos. So I'm <clears> going <throat> to handle it. That's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> I like it. I'm going to wear one of those shirts next time I'm in Germany. Uh Christina's back with the Webmaster Hangouts from 22 uh, March. Is, there's actually two versions of this. She hasn't published part two yet, uh, but still some good information in here. Uh, you can hear about uh, some issues with the Google Search Console having issues with JavaScript and CSS still. Uh, some indexing issues with uh, Google Search Con Console. Uh, one that we're having right now is we had a site set to no index in the robots. We did all our setup, you know, search console analytics, getting it ready to go live. Search console crawled it, said, oh, no index. Uh, and now it's having a pain. It's a pain in the ass. Like half the site is still being read by Google as no index in the robots thing. So clearly they still have some work to do. I did hear rumors that search console is getting back to the two day old data. Uh, in the new version, so that will make it much more useful. Uh, I'm just kind of hoping that, you know, I, honestly, I think they should have rolled out Search Console, the new version, when it was a little bit more ready uh, to go. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. But, again, there's more information here, and subscribe to her if you like these get these updates. Um, they're really good, and they take a lot of time. If you ever watch one of those Hangouts, you know, that's a good way to get put to sleep. Uh, next post, uh, SerpWoo. We did a story or highlighted a story they did about uh, education in the education market, things you need to do with education. Uh, They're back with another one. As this is for local marketing. I think it's actually pretty interesting. I just looked at some different terms and some stuff that you know was common parallel. Uh, one of the things, domain age, I think Ted and I had a conversation about this, and Bill as well, whether age still matters. Bill said, uh, surmised that it does. Um, and so this kind of concurs with what he's saying uh, based off of their data. Uh, here's a SERPs looks, et cetera. whole bunch of cool information in here. If you don't have SERP Woo right now, it's a little bit expensive. Maybe get yourself a baby account uh, and use targeted versions of the keywords. Uh, but it is really nice just to kind of see what's going on, uh, how things are bouncing around in your market, et cetera. And this is a really good tour. Um, and then you can get a whole list here of, you know, cities and variations and, and kind of play with that if you're a mass site builder. So there's something here for everyone. All right. John Mueller discusses LinkedIn Google's ignores. I, you know, I take these with a lot of grain of salt. And I don't know about Ted. Um, but a lot of people in the Black Hat community do as well. Like, you know, Matt, back in the day, Matt Cutts said guest posts are bad for you. Uh, but, you know, guest posts rank. Um, let's see. Now it's John Mueller saying that Google is ignoring forum profiles. I can see this, but it's something that we have to test. Because I, you know, I still use XRumor and I still use GSA to some extent. Uh, and forum profiles, you know, we're still creating those and we're still creating a good solid link foundation with form profiles. So I think uh, it's certainly something that needs to be looked at a little bit closer, i.e. is the form profile, because that URL structure is typically is how they find them in the first place. 
Um, is the profile itself the one that's not sending any signals and how do they filter that out or two or are they just devaluing an entire site? And if they're devaluing entire sites, um, you know, what does that, how are those sites, those, you know, when you're posting links, you look at forums that have a lot of traffic, et cetera, and rankings. So how are those sites getting that ranking if their links on there don't mean anything? So that's a little interesting. Um, I don't know. Tech, I don't know. Is there a way to teach a tool? Maybe not necessarily the core because you get so much in there anyway, but I teach a tool to find sites and how many forum profile links that they have. Um, well, jail, maybe even just 10. You'd need an AI classifier to say this backlink looks like this kind of backlink. Uh -huh. uh, otherwise, you have to manually go through and qualify all your data, uh, which is, you know, kind of hard. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with respect to things that Google says, you know, there have been so many times they've given us a half-truth, so many times they've given us information that was just flat-out wrong, so many times that they thought they know the right answer, it seemed sensible, but it turned out not to be because the left hand at Google didn't know what the right hand was doing. You know, so uh, stuff that comes out of Google, I view a about as credible as you know a, uh, a career SEO blogger winging it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think you know this. It's something definitely worth testing. Uh, Penguin supposedly can filter out a bunch of links. People say that these tools don't work no more. Um, maybe it's just the way that they're using them, or maybe I just found some kind of loophole. But I'm still having success with tools. I'm still having success with forum profiles, whether they be uh, X-Rumor generated or generated off other, other means. Uh, so, and I, and I find it hard to believe that Google has somehow managed to pull off filtering out just the profiles. So they're saying forum profiles don't, link, don't count, but what about that forum post? Does that still count? And then they're saying that user-generated content and those links don't have as much value and you know, I'm just not. I'm not seeing that. It's it's saying, hey, users, users are important. You need to, to provide what the user needs, and that's how you should do your link building is making sure that the link's in a place where a user needs it, and then it increases the quality. Well, if my user, my link is, and my users on a user generated content site, and you're devaluing it, that's kind of you know, counter counterintuitive, as it were. If I put on my half-truth goggles and look at, you know, Google's claim, maybe what they mean by Google handling forum links is that they count them against you under manual review. So it might sound like it's algorithmically solved, but they might actually mean under manual review. Yeah, under manual. Manual review makes sense because I can, I can pick those out pretty quick. Um, but I'm building them to you, so... Let's see, next post, search engine land, website report, hack sites. This is actually pretty interesting, just some of the data uh, that Google has, is reporting. 1% um, of users are led to spammy sites. It, well, actually, less than 1% of users are led to spammy sites through the search results. But if you listen to the White Hat community, 
uh, spam is prevalent across Google. So I, uh, there's, those oh. two aren't, aren't really matching. <laughs> Let, let's face it. All your competitors are spammy, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. They have to be. <laughs> let's see. Hack sites are getting discovered faster. I think that's a good thing. I think Google getting that system working better uh, is, actually, is a good thing for everybody. Um, black hats and white hats combined. You know, obviously, if you're like, a super a criminal <laughs> and you're hacking uh, sites and putting up scripts and stuff like that then obviously it's bad for you but uh, i think for the internet world at large it's a good thing uh users are more reporting more spam and 64 percent of that spam is being uh, acted upon which is uh interesting i venture i wonder if they add map stuff in there too i I wonder if users are reporting more spam or if like website owners and SEOs are reporting more spam. Because I know there's an uptick in NARC SEO. Yeah. But I wonder if like actual consumers who aren't running websites actually engage in that at all. Uh huh. Cool. Let's see. Uh, impact user generated spam. Reduced by eighty percent. This was a user impact. User generated comments generated spam, and, and search results reduced by over eighty percent. That's pretty interesting assertion. And Chris Walker wants to come on and explain how Google filters. Uh, yeah, he, <laughs> I saw that and he threw me off. So now I'm trying to find him on Skype. There you go. I love that Chris. I'm a smart dude. So check Skype, Chris. Uh, let's see. Four million messages related to manual actions. That's down from six, which is good. Uh, poor link building, less effective spamming. I think link velocity is probably a trigger for that link spamming idea and how uh, Penguin is addressing it. So um, in our case, what, what I've been doing is keeping my link velocity actually low. So, you know, I'm using those softwares, but I'm not, using, I'm not like going balls out with them. You know, like we used to in the old days, just like <laughs> send a million if they only count 2,000 as long as I rank number one. Who cares? Um, we're a, bit, a little bit smarter than that. Nowadays. I, I suspect that uh, the size of the website or the size of the change to the website is also important. So, like, if you submit, you know, 4 million new pages, that probably triggers a manual review. Yeah, I, you know, I bet you that's that might be one. Well, I have to see. I don't know. I hope not because we just submitted one hundred and fifty thousand of them. <laughs> the full drive was like three fifty. We we had to resubmit one hundred and twenty-seven thousand because of that robots thing I was talking about. So yeah, there's probably a threshold, but at some point there's an amount of new content that Google's just going to choke on, and they're going to want to see if it's real before they choke on it. Yeah. Uh, and the final one here is Google saying that they're engaging more with SEOs, developers, and site owners with uh, in-person events. I've actually attended one for AdWords, so if you guys get a chance, just go check one of those out. I, mine was in Seattle at the Google offices. You could get to see the inside of the, the beast. Uh, just so you know, they're not going to tell you anything about the search algorithm because people who talk to you don't know much about it. Uh, they just tell you about the tools and stuff. But still, it's good to kind of have some of the insight and meet some of the people behind the old big G. I'm going to leave this over here. And Chris, Chris makes it on. Uh, here's a, the search engine roundtable. 
next previous. This was going on before, like I said. John Mueller said, hey, use next previous previous in a webmaster hangout. And then not three days later, he said that Google isn't using it anymore. Uh, so don't bother with it. And now it's back to, hey, um, that's not what we meant. So the fact, the short version is Google's no longer using it as a ranking uh, consideration or a factor. Uh, however, John Mueller and uh, Gary Isles kind of put it out there is if you already have your site set up for next or previous rail and you're using it and your site is getting indexed and everything's working properly, don't go change it just because we said it's not working anymore. Uh, on the flip side of that, if you don't have it in place and people are telling you you should use it um, because of the duplicate content issue, it, and that might be an, uh, something, a concern. Uh, Google's saying you don't need it. So I, really, in my, in my perspective, this is probably a user uh, experience kind of thing now versus a search algorithm thing. But I'm not sure. Do you have a factor in core that'll test next previous whether that's a, that matters? Uh, yeah, it's there. And I never thought it was a ranking factor, like having it would increase your rank. You know, that's... It's it's a technical thing so that Google can index your site completely. It's about saying I'm on a category page, and this is how you paginate to get all of the data related to this category. Right. See all the products. It's a signal telling Google that uh, there's more information to this category, and these are the links that get you the complete set. I don't know. The way that it came out, it's like John was saying, you don't need to use them anymore. You can throw all your products on that one page and let it go to town. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they're they're fine if you do everything on one page, and they're going to crawl all your links anyway unless you block them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's probably why they say they don't give them any special treatment. They probably just crawl all links anyway. Makes sense. Uh, Chris is here. Chris, you got audio? Everything working? Let me see. Can you hear me now? Yep. Oh, wow. It's actually working. I've been having problems with this the last couple of days. So, um, yeah. Profile links, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah. The stuff, the stuff that I found guys is, is basically, it, it's all about how the particular profile is set up on the website, right? So if, if the internal link structure is good on that site and that site is authoritative enough, then it seems that they're just, they work, right? So there's, and that's probably why you find a lot of success with them, Clint, is, you know, certain ones are working for sure, but it seems to me from all of my tests and research is that it's all about how that particular profile is set up on that particular website. And also, you know, if you're building links to those profiles, that helps as well. But it's it seems to be the internal link structure of that profile itself. At least that's what I found. How about dealing, like going the extra step and fleshing those out? Like you're making a brand, Chris Walker, that's the brand, and you want to do forum profile links. So you go out and you flesh out, you know, two or 300 of those. Well, you, I mean, the VA yeah. takes forever, but yeah. Fleshing them out definitely seems to help, and it and it depends on which site 
um, obviously, but yeah, that's, that's a big deal because obviously having those that creates an internal link structure from that particular profile. And that seems to help quite a bit. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I guess you could probably see that and looking at a form profile, like an extra generated form profile is pretty much the username and your backlink. So, um, right. Right. It's pretty easy to pick out. Um, yeah. And that makes it easy for them to just ignore them basically. Yeah, I have certainly something worth testing. Actually, I think I'll do that. Set up a single variable test. You, Maybe check a couple versions, like fleshed out versus not, and etc. You guys ruined all of my web forms. Like <laughs> web forms, and then I go back to them after a week, and there would be seven million spam posts, and you know, eighty-seven thousand new members. <laughs> <laughs> And I just had to shut them all down because I can't moderate that much. Yeah. <laughs> the power of extra man. You leave extra going and you forget about it. You're gonna, <laughs> it's gonna be you're gonna come back to a surprise. And I, I had PHP forms set up that way, and I got blasted too. I was like, holy hell, this is what it's like on the other side. But you know, it works. So. <laughs> it's like comment spam. Everyone was doing a comment spam, and then when you start clearing that up. It's a mess. So anyway, uh, Chris Walker's here. You guys, though, if you don't know Chris, Chris can just you know say who, who the hell you are, why people should follow you, that kind of stuff. Oh man, um, I don't know, Chris Walker, been an SEO about fifteen years or so, and um, let's see what else. Uh, I founded Rank Local back in the day, uh, but now I'm just doing more of a consulting thing. And um, currently building out a training, so that's exciting. Coming yeah, coming down that. the pipe soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, hopefully in the next month or two. I mean, uh, this week uh, working on the recording actually. So I'm I'm excited to get that uh, kind of knocked out, and then I'll I'll let everybody know then. Nice, that'd be a challenge. What do you how, do? You like doing consulting versus the agency stuff? Is that much? Like I've been thinking about going to just doing that because I. I like it personally. For me, it's it's a lot more rewarding. And then you can just, you know, you pick and choose your clients, who you like, who you can work with, and who you can stand to work with, most importantly, because we all know SEO can be a little bit difficult in that regard at times. Yeah. But yeah, it's I, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Is your model where you do the consulting and then say, oh, we can also do this for you, or you just hey, here's what you're doing, give all that stuff to the team and they they knock it out and then come back to after. I, I prefer uh, a team environment, actually, but I'll, I can do both. Um, if I'm in a team environment, then I know I've got that support. And most of all, they're hungry to get results. And that seems to be uh, a lot of fun for me. Yeah. And it sounds like that model is a little bit easier to get everyone to buy off on the concept to you. Yeah. Yeah. If they're already, you know, most of the time, you know, when they, you know, you approach them or they approach you, they, you know they're already bought into the concept. So it makes that selling the whole thing around SEO a whole lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. It's nothing worse than having run into the developer and the marketing manager who hate the idea of SEO, but the owner's all for it. And he's like, I'm yeah. all for it. And he throws you to the marketing manager and that's your PLC. And then two months later, he's back like, you guys didn't help me. Yeah. <laughs> Right, right. Well, you you know what it is. I mean, it's it's uh it can be fun. I don't know. I'm debating it. We'll see. See if I get internet famous enough to try it out. There you go. 
All right, so Edge SEO for e-commerce. Um, I won't go into what Edge SEO is. We talked about this like three or four episodes concurrently. Uh, Dan Taylor came up with the concept, Edge SEO, basically, uh, and this is how to apply it for e-com. A lot of people just kind of missed out on the value of doing this. Uh, and in short, it's just, you know, hooking your site up to something like Cloudflare Workers and pushing your employments through that because you can't do it through their clunky ass CMS that it's set up. Uh, I, if you have your e-commerce site set up on uh, Yahoo e-commerce, go try to view SEO on that site. Um, this is a, a, a way around that and some tips on how to implement that using the workers and some of the tools that uh, Dan has set up over on his free tool call over at SALT. Uh, you can find the link to the agency here uh, and get over to his actual tool that does a lot of this stuff for you. There's already recipes and it builds everything inside of there. But here's uh, something that I thought was missing from the rest of that conversation about Edge SEO minus Dan. Uh, and how to and what to use it for and employ, uh, in particular for e-commerce. And sticking with the e-commerce thing, we're talking about e-commerce data visualization. Uh, this is goes back to the SEO world evolving and looking at data. Uh, I like looking at data. I use Tableau. I use Microsoft Power BI. I use Data Studio. Uh, in the best way that I know how, because I'm a big dumb monkey. But guys like Ted look at some of these posts or you know charts like this, and they get it right off the bat and what this stuff is. Uh, so this is a good post for you if you're looking at how data and data visualization will help me solve some problems. Um, you know, you might have to go in here and, and do a little bit of Google definition searching, um, but it's short. It's a really good uh, post, I think. Uh, just to kind of get the juices flowing when you're talking about data and data-driven decisions uh, and where that stuff is com coming from. Um, so yeah. it was pretty good. Usually from a, a business intelligence standpoint where everybody should probably dip their toe in the water is trying to figure out a model for your business to, to estimate the lifetime value of your average customer. Because knowing that one number tells you how much you can spend in advertising to acquire new customers. Yeah. And that's how you can scale your business profitably. That's one of the questions we put on our uh, our leads form for our clients now. They have to tell us either what their average lifetime value of the customer is because that drives the conversion tracking and all that other stuff. Uh, and if they don't know it, that's, you know, it's also a really good value added provider for them where it gets you into the consulting role, um, teaching them how to figure out that lifetime value of the customer. So I think that's, that's a really good point. If you guys don't know, like Microsoft Power BI and Google Data Studio will pull into Google Analytics and so will Tableau. Tableau though is a software and you have to buy a, I think it's their first stage license to actually use Google Analytics, which is kind of gay of them since Google Analytics is free. Uh, but they want to hook you up to it. But Tableau has a, a decent learning curve with it too, uh, as do all the tools. Um, and then if you don't want to know anything about it and making those, then go to uh, webers.com, check out their blueprint. It's called the blueprint. Uh, and they have some templates, et cetera, um, already. There's, there's some free ones, and then there's the paid program. I got their paid program. It's really good. Yeah, and 
be mindful that these visualization tools have uh, resource limits. Yeah. So you can't you can't put ten years of high volume sales into Tableau. It just that that typically doesn't end well. So yeah, you um, can try, but it'll freeze up your Mac. <laughs> yeah. So remember, start small, bite off little bites, see what you can learn from the little bites, and then grow. A lot of this stuff too, if you just don't want to learn about using those things, is some of the built-in reports in Google Analytics are already there uh, for you to find a lot of insights. Like, for example, I had clients say, "Oh, you know, we were ranking great before you. We had all this traffic, and we were doing wonderful." Uh, and then when you break out their analytics and show them just their organic and show that how you tripled it and how you paying like you're giving them four times the money and all their other traffic is actually crap now uh, it's really good to be able to put yourself in that position um, so again learn some visualization learn how to use that data don't just talk about data-driven marketing uh, as, a, as a buzzword for your sales process actually learn some of it Let's see, how much content is too much for your e-commerce pages? This one kind of goes in with our last one is your best SEO is not the product page. Um, which, what drew this for me is I think probably, I want to say a year ago, Kyle noticed that Google was losing or was ranking category pages much higher than product pages for pretty much everything in e-commerce. Uh, and then it became a point within the community, which do you put more content to increase the ranking of your category pages? Uh, and that's where these last two pages go uh, hand in hand is where is the line and what kind of content should you be putting on those, those category pages? Um, the typical SEO answer is, you know, put 300 words on there, optimize it for the keyword. No, 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 that's, that's a terrible <laughs> idea. That concept is old. It was called safety text. And so you'd have this boilerplate safety paragraph about the category that's cookie cuttered on all pagination pages. And that's, that's not the best way to do it. What's a better way to do it? is to increase the number of products per page. So if you're showing 25 products per page, you can double the content on your category pages by showing 50. Uh -huh. um, and then uh, have a short description field in your database for all your products that has like two short sentences about the product. And then you show the short description as part of the uh, product token on the category page. And then all of a sudden, you you just went from 25 to 50 products, but 200 sentences on page. And you can make those short description sentences keyword tuned. Keyword tuned and help the user, right? Which is yeah. really one of these two posts is, you know, optimize for the keyword, but don't just do it willy-nilly. Do like Ted said, make it like a purpose, user intent purpose updates to it. Ted just nailed it for sure. Yeah, Ted the master. I wish we were talking about e-commerce on another show. Yeah, you know, there's there's some, some rumors about an episode tomorrow. You know, I guess we can't officially spoil it. Tomorrow uh, show was about e-commerce. E-commerce is a good good thing though because you know you can apply e-commerce marketing to 
affiliate websites, especially you know if you're doing Amazon stuff and building the Amazon stores, etc. So I think e-commerce SEO would be a great topic. Uh, yeah, we'll put it on the list. Yeah, we'll, we'll think about it. We'll debate it. <laughs> All right, so I want to get to questions. We probably got like five or six inside the chat. Uh, you know, Chris, if you feel like piping up too, go ahead. Uh, I'm not always right. As a matter of fact, I'm more wrong than I am right, which is, makes me so awesome. Uh, but at this time, go ahead and leave your questions. Remember, any topic you want. we got about 15 minutes on the clock, but if you're not asking questions, we cut it short because Ted needs his beauty wrist. So the first question uh, from Pastor Duke, what can you do about image scraper links and should a person worry about them? I have my own philosophy. Uh, Chris, uh, what are you advising? You, know, you have the, a client, he's got this great site, and someone's taking all his images and putting them on their, I don't know, their, their photo gallery, uh, et cetera. Or Ted, you saw that, I'm sure, with some yeah. of your stuff too. This, this is a technical SEO problem. It's really easy to solve. You can set up... Uh, uh, your server to say that image requests that aren't from your domain name uh, get 404 or redirected. So you just got to qualify that the image request is from your domain and then all those guys get shut off. And you can do funny things because you can say if they're poaching your image, serve up this other embarrassing image instead or <laughs> show this ad instead. And then you get your ad distributed for free. Hey, nice. That's a good one. I like that one better than beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I think honestly, for me, they don't they don't bother me because I use WordPress and I have them redirected to the original post, so they're building links to me. Uh, the issue becomes where you know a lot of those. There's a lot of people out there that are from a certain country that send emails saying that they're going to help you with a negative SEO problem. Uh, and then when you turn them down, they become a negative SEO problem. And they're using those images sites to do that. Uh, so you got to be careful with that. But for the most part, typically, I, I just put EXIF in uh, the images if I know they're being scraped or on my own money sites where I don't use EXIF because EXIF on the money site doesn't matter. Um, then I just... Uh, I had the image redirected. And so they can, you know, if they want to borrow my image, go ahead. Um, it's kind of my fault for not watermarking all of them anyway. Uh, and to me, that's just some free promotion. But it really depends on the scale of that image scraping issue that you're having yeah. of where you want to actually, you know, get involved in, and do something about it. And there are uh, enterprise solutions at scale like uh, Scene 7 and Liquid Pixels. They're image servers that can dynamically watermark and snipe and do all of that stuff. Yeah, see, that's nice. Yeah, and then you can you could use tools like Scurry. I think they don't they handle that too. I'm not sure Scurry does it. I'd have to log in to see, but I, yeah. maybe maybe. Hmm. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I really just kind of that's one of those problems where you really don't have to address it until it becomes an issue. Um, you know, practical e-commerce, that's a website that they they did that 404 thing like Ted talks about. Uh, and they the image that you get shown is actually a, an image that says, hey, this site is this image is hosted on a practical e-commerce. Don't hot link to us. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> I, I wouldn't do that. That's just that's that's lose lose. You should yeah. just put up an ad saying, Hey, have you checked out this site? It's amazing. You should yeah. <laughs> check it out. That'd be awesome. 
it was we could do it a certain way so when the person that's doing it doesn't know that you're you know you're showing that until it's too late that well works. yeah you you whitelist it if they're from uh, if you could figure out their corporate ip addresses then you <laughs> whitelist it so they see the image but everybody else sees the ad yeah, that would be awesome uh our buddy from sia borslav i'm probably pronouncing his name wrong but i don't care how do you split link juice doing link building when your site has 25,000 pages? If you would split link juice over the number of pages, there would be almost no link juice per page. Hmm. That's actually a, a, a really good question, and it's all about how are your site structure is done. So if you're looking at 25,000 pages, typically you're probably in an e-commerce or a like a directory type platform. Uh, and e-commerce, uh, since we're, we're talking about e-commerce, I would actually send all my links to that category page. One, because Google's ranking them more, right? Uh, and two, the category page is going to have a lot of my products on it. So if I'm sending the links to the category page and it's pushing through the products and the projects per perkle up, now I'm getting more bang for my buck for that link versus trying to go the other way around where I have 25,000 products. How am I going to rank each one of those? Um, so that's really how you look at that. If you're, you know, in a local thing, again, you're probably at a directory, so you want to send your links to the state or the city, depending on your services uh, and how you have that silo built up. But, you know, silos don't work, so. Yeah, the categories are easiest to rank right now, so there's a lot of truth to what Clint just said. Uh, in e-commerce, though, I always found something magical would happen on large-scale uh, e-commerce sites when you get about 25 backlinks per product. And so I crafted, geez, a lot of my black hat for e-commerce was about <laughs> getting those 25 backlinks per product. And so and we're going to have to get Ted to share that. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if we can get him to, <laughs> to say it out. Because that would be really interesting if you can do 25 backlinks. And I know the site that you worked on, holy crap. Um, that's a pretty big scale uh, of links. So I yeah. For any one product, though, any one URL, it's small. So it's yeah. it's kind of below the radar in, in a lot of senses. Well, that's true, especially when you have that many. So you can kind of hide that and just promote your big payers. It depends. Let's see. Adrian Diaz, if I want to change my categories due to expanding my site, but some old posts will have to go to the new category, will I lose my rankings for these posts if I move them to the new category? I would say yes if you're changing the URL structure. If your silos are built up and you're leveraging the categories um, just with your interlinking, then you're not, you shouldn't have an issue. But if you change the URL structure um, using your permalinks, uh, then you're probably going to have issues. Chris, Ted, do you got any? Yeah, keep your, you're right. Keep your URL structure the same on those yeah. pages. Yeah, you need to be all right. Yeah, I always fear changing a URL structure. It's the one thing you want to get right the first time. Yeah, I I, I don't do it. I don't care how bad it is. I won't, I won't change it after it's done. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll fix it on the next website. Yeah, exactly. too too many variables. Uh, let's see, Lee, which your core is a link building tool. Say more, maybe, maybe, maybe. We'll see. We'll see what uh, 5.0 gives us. I, like I said, I already have some stuff. But I'll, I'll give them a clue. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a clue. There's a reason that the variant keywords on the roadmap 
are in a different format than the variant keywords on the overview sheet. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's see. And I've given that away before, too. So if you've been watching SEO this week, you probably already know. Uh, and I think I've said it on SEO Fight Club, too. So if you haven't watched it, then you missed out. Let's see. Nathan Hammond. Clint forgot whether it was SEO this week or SEO Fight Club. But remember a comment on how you thought Google only looks at X amount of internal links. Curious where you're getting that from. I've never said that. I think what I think where you're getting that from is there is a amount of where you're just not getting any benefit anymore building that silo out. Uh, for me, my my beginning silo starts at four uh, four supporting posts for that page, and then I'll build number five and number six and number seven. And when it stops working. When I stop getting an increase from doing that, that's when I go into uh, link building mode and sending links to those supporting pages. So that's probably uh, what you're talking about. I think at some point it just, you know, your site doesn't have enough domain authority uh, or the pages don't have enough backlinks and it's just not going to do you any good. Um, and, and so maybe that's probably where that came from. I guess at some point, in some level, that's Google only looks at X amount of eternal links. Maybe they're only counting X based off of your authority and the trust of your site. So that's a good one. Uh, let's see. Initials guy. Uh, are happy Facebook traffic from, for example, Melissa, good or bad from US-based website? I'm not even sure what that means. You're probably going to have to re-ask re that. Ted, do you have new data about the latest Google update? Versus what we showed in the show. Nope. Uh, SEO fight club. Yeah. Maybe next week if I get the time. Yeah. Uh, Ted with Cora. I have one license. Can I have Cora on my laptop and desktop? Assuming if I use one machine at a time. Yeah. The licensing is per user. We expect people to have home and work uh, installs. As long as they're not running at the same time, you should be fine. Yeah. I like I, I use my license. Mine on three machines. So. Um, just depending on what I'm running. So like quick stuff on my laptop or I want to actually think on my desktop and I want to go balls out on my dedicated. So uh, let's see, talking about extra, let's see, next, next, next. What courses, books are recommended to learn from more technical SEO website structure? Well, uh, you know, there there aren't a lot of books on technical SEO. Uh, most of the technical part comes from the engineering books on web development and the specifications on JavaScript and HTML and HTTP and CSS. So I would start with those uh, technical specifications, uh, W3Schools. Uh, website is is great for that. So if you type in HTML tag list, it'll be in the top three, I'm sure. Um, and in terms of like learning quickly, like if you're an in-house SEO for a big company, uh, uh, retire your office, get rid of your office. It's isolating you. It's causing you problems go sit in the engineering bullpen because the bad days that the engineers have in web development, those are typically your bad days in SEO. And you're going to learn a ton of technical SEO just being there to be aware of all the issues that are happening that are potentially impacting marketing. 
That's a good one. And if you're not, I, I say if you're not in a position where you can do that uh, and you need to learn on the job, get Sightbulb and Screaming Frog uh, because both of those tools will teach you a lot of technical stuff just going through and running through that, especially the dope documentation of Sightbulb. That thing is awesome. I, I learned a lot. Um, and then if you can get it, obviously we don't want to promote you know, promote Cora as the NLB all, but Cora taught me a crazy amount of stuff too. Um, you know, I used to bug Ted all the time, uh, but now with Cora and, and his documentation, which, you know, some of it sucks and Ted's fixing it. <laughs> That's because he just went crazy and added like 5,000 more factors. But, you know, as you learn that kind of stuff and you learn what to look for, et cetera, that builds your technical SEO knowledge. I'm not a coder. You know, I can make a pure HTML website, et cetera. Um, but, you know, there's some things that in that technical SEO realm uh, that you can you can do with those two tools. And then if I was going to suggest a book, it's probably The Art of SEO. Uh, is is probably one of the better books. Just kind of learn the foundations, et cetera. Uh, and there's some technical stuff. And then the another book that you guys should get also uh, is this one, Google Analytics Breakthrough. Uh, this one is actually really helpful too. And, and I learned a lot of technical. It's obviously about Google Analytics, but look how thick it is. Uh, and there's a lot of technical stuff in there too that you can kind of pick out uh, and, and learn through that. So those are probably my, my two two. Resources and if you're going to use one of the SEO uh, crawlers like Screaming Frog, if you don't want to be fired by your your enterprise caliber client, you will get permission from their engineering team to run the crawler <laughs> in advance of running it. Uh, because if you cause a denial of service attack by running a bot that's adding things to cart or doing stuff like that, they will get mad at you in a hurry. It also points out a significant thing. That's an issue right there is if you're screaming frog and you have it set to run a Google bot, emulating Google bot, if it's adding stuff to the cart as it's crawling, that's a crawl issue. Uh, so you can also be saving the day at the same time. You're like, yeah, I messed it up, but this is what I found, and that's why, because you guys suck. So you can both share the blame. Uh, Yukishin SEO, just about to ask the same question. Okay, Twalk 3 Design. I crawl the competitor ranking above me, and they have hundreds of internal links to the target page where I have about 70. Should I try to match your internal link? Or not? I would look and see how they did it. Uh, I get the same one uh, when you're competing in like Los Angeles and New York. You probably one of my biggest competitors, as it were, is Coalition Technologies. And if you look at how they built their pages, they have their Los Angeles SEO page and then uh, a couple of hundred case study pages built pointed at those. Uh, and a lot of their links are going to those case study things too. Um, so, you know, I think it's a really, it's a hard things to to say yes or no if you did if you, and if you built 70 and you can build out another 40 then just go for it and match it and see what happens yeah you you, need, you definitely need to look at their strategy overall uh first i think that would be key in online retail uh it's extremely common you'll have retailers that have tens of thousands of products and they'll have hundreds of categories and when you go and investigate those they'll oftentimes have every product in 10 or 20 different categories. And so it, it could just be that category navigation. Yeah. 
I think that's really one of the big things, especially if you're using a tool to analyze your competitors and it tells you you need a whole bunch of a href links and URLs and interlinking and stuff. Just kind of go over there and look at see what it's for. Uh, and like Chris said, try to figure out the overall strategy behind why those links are there. Uh, and then decide if it's worth it to you. Like, again, if you made 70, it should be easy enough to make another, what, 30, 40. Um, probably I'd do 50 just so I could have, you know, 120 versus 100 just to see if it made a difference. But um, it depends on the site and whether it's it's worthwhile to you to do that. For the most part, I, you know, I don't do a lot of it. You know, we're catching up to coalition technologies, and I'm not doing, you know, hundreds of case studies at those internal pages like they are. So um, you just have to have to mess around with it. Let's see. Uh, MMR is what are you guys' current opinion on guest posting as so-called white hat alternative to PBNs? Opinions see the change on this term. Uh, Chris, Ted, you guys have any opinion on that? Sorry, what was the question? A broken guest, post, guest posting versus PBNs. Uh, you know, it's hard enough to get an honest link these days. I'm generally, I'm not going to say no to either. Yeah, yeah. I I like guest. I mean, there's a lot less um, cost associated with maintaining guest posts, right? Um, you know, as long as they're relevant, I mean, they're fantastic. That's yeah. that's the key. Yeah, I think the, the biggest issue there is what Chris nailed it on is is cost. You know, if you have a private blog network, you're paying to build a site. You, it's a money site, so now you got to put content on it. You got to maintain it. You got to you know build links to it, uh, etc. Versus a guest post, you just reach out to a guy and say, "Hey, can I put my article on your site and get a link?" Um, so you kind of balance one over the other, and I think you also need to realize how much competition is in your market because then you're going to actually find that you're putting, you're buying guest posts uh, on people's PBNs, uh, and a lot of people sell that as guest posts or as outreach links, uh, and they have this list of 30,000 links that are doing it, and what they did is they got with all their buddies, they collected all their PBNs, and now they just put content on their PBNs. So you're still doing PBN link building, uh, and you're still ranking. Uh, just call it is what it is. So, you know, white hats in – you know that's really it's a it's a moral issue, uh, it's a moral selling point for them uh, when they say PBNs don't work. But what is a PBN? PBN is article marketing. Uh, guest posting. What is that? Guest posting is article marketing, uh, and you're just doing two different formats. So uh, I, again, it really has to balance money wise. Is it worthwhile for you to maintain a private blog network versus just going out and doing guest posting uh, that way? I think yeah. the value is still there. People say that Google found PBNs and killed them. Well, yeah, there are ways you can set up a PBN and Google's going to fry you. Um, but then again, if you're you're setting up twenty money sites to promote one other money site, that's that's legit. So yeah, I, I think you put the nail in the coffin on that debate with what you just said. The difference between PBNs and guest posting is. Just a distinction of who owns the website. Yeah, who owns the website. That's really all it is. So, and like I said, it's a selling point. It's a selling point for uh, for for people. That's you know, that's kind of how they get it. So um, that's why I'm not afraid. You know, you go to incognito and you see my picture minus the cool glasses. Um, I'm wearing a black hat because. And just say what it is, you know. Don't change article marketing to guest posting and then call yourself white hat. 
don't change inbound SEO to inbound marketing and then call yourself white hat. It's, you know, you, all you did was change the term and, and you're doing the same thing. So um, that's where that is on there. So as a word, it's probably easier uh, and better for you to automate and scale guest posting versus PBNs. Um, so I do PBNs as a last resort. Uh, and you guys should probably do that to save you a little bit of trouble. Uh, let's see. Derek's that, Derek is Waziak. He kind of chimed in there too. Is the harder the link, the harder the link to get via guest posting, the better it usually is. And that's actually also correct because that means that they're moderating the site better. It's got better trust, authority, et cetera. Um, so that gives you a lot more value. Last call for questions. I don't see any more. Chris, I'd like to thank you for coming on. It was nice having you aboard. Should yeah, you? sure thing, Clint. Not a problem, man. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. Let us know when that course releases, sir. I'll like check that out. I will. Let's see. Uh, and Ted, as always, thanks for being here. Thank you. Mike Calvin, uh, hey, guys, great show. Could links to an orphan page boost the overall power of authority of the site? Uh, SIA tested that, uh, and Kyle did a test, and he was testing domain authority, and his testing was indicating that it's not a thing as a ranking factor, uh, if I had that correct. I wish Kyle was here to kind of stand up for himself. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. By, by definition, page rank is a link graph. It's about the connections between pages, and if you have a page without connections, it's outside the graph. Okay, yeah, so it's not doing anything. So there you go. That's why it's wrong. <laughs> <coughs> uh, excuse me. Uh, and then the last one, is it better to PBN or guest post to have good PA or have traffic? Uh, depends on who you believe. Uh, let's see, if you believe the uh, NFG guys, it's traffic uh, and authority. Those combined, uh, if you're following the DA, PA metric, um, and you think it correlates to rankings and go DAPA. I look for traffic and the amount of keywords the website's indexed or index is ranking for uh, already as an indication of whether that's a good link. But those are my metrics. So you really got to pick out yours for your market and see how they work. Um, it, you know, before I used to go Ahrefs, uh, and now I'm leaning back towards Ahrefs metrics. Um, and but you know, Moz, I knew the, the, how easy they were to manipulate DA and PA, and now they fixed that. Uh, and we're testing to see if it's still easy to manipulate it. If it is not, then it's you know, it's a better indication for me. Um, uh, but you know, you, you need a lot of scale, uh, looking at those numbers and a lot of experience to say, hey, my site is a DA, whatever, and it can compete at the level where the average sites in the top 10 are DA, whatever. So if, uh, if I could chime, if I could chime in there, Clint, I, I'm a fan of traffic myself overall, because I think, you know, if a website has traffic, if it's ranking for keywords, like you say, I really like that. But the thing I like about it is the internal structure is probably set up somewhat correctly. So there's flow from one page to the next, and they're obviously ranking uh, for particular keywords, which, which means in my book, they're, you know, if you get a, a post on that that website, it's more likely to rank for your keywords as well. Yeah, it's a trusted site. That's to me, that's an indicator. If, if it's ranking for keywords and it's getting traffic, then it's trusted by Google already. So that that link might have more value than a link that doesn't. Um, that's my that's my theory. And 
you know, if you're playing around with a lot of the <clears throat> the patterns like proximity to click, et cetera, um, that can, can play into you. So there's a whole bunch, <laughs> there's really a whole bunch to decide when you're going at the link. So you just really have to kind of figure out what is my, my, um, my threshold to paying uh, and that's really it kind of drives your 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 link building um, plan really is at the end of the day is that's what driving it uh, you know my threshold is pretty high so i can do the extramers and the gsas and the money robots and the seops uh and the pbns and the guest posting and all that other stuff but there's other projects where i can't touch any of that stuff and we're you know Link building is PBNs uh, and social posting. So um, you just got to figure out what the threshold is and then decide how you want to measure that yourself based off of your experience. And really, it, the only thing that those those are great tools for filtering, uh, but it really, it's at the end of the day, it's going to be your experience to decide whether it's working or not. All right. That seems like that's it. Well, last question. This is the last one. And Ted, this is probably for you. What are your thoughts on adding a WordPress subdirectory to apps site? You want to avoid creating a subdomain. Will there be any technical issues that we should prepare for? Well, there's a uh, interesting notion that came out in an interview with uh, with Gary uh, from Google, and he made a uh, claim that Google will sometimes break up a website into little mini websites. And if that's the case, then, uh, you know, there's this other Google claim that they treat subdirectories the same way as they do subfolders. We know that's technically not exactly true. It's mostly true. But uh, the thing you'd want to worry about is that you're filtering by the number of results you can generally see in the search results still happens at the domain name level. Uh, so even if you have the subdomains, you're not getting around that. You have to have different domains if you want to monopolize more of page one. Mm -hmm. Technical issues, uh, having subdomains could require you to have wildcard SSL certificates that are generally more expensive and difficult to configure. Um, it can mess with your analytics tracking. Um, you may have uh, cookie domain issues for keeping users logged in across subdomains. So yeah, there, there are a number of technical things that you'd want to be careful about. I would probably lean towards the folders. Yeah, the subdirectories, which is what he was saying. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see any technical issues with if you add a subdirectory to it. Maybe you just got to be cognizant of that you did it when you start building new pages, etc. Uh, but that's really easy enough to manage anyway. So, and change to the URL too. So if you change your mind later, you kind of you know demolish your SEO. <laughs> so uh, decide right the first time. Yeah. Okay, so that's it. Thank you guys for all of your questions. Ted, SEO Fight Club tomorrow, uh, 11 p.m. Pacific, right? Or 11 a.m.? Yeah. Uh, 11 a.m. Pacific. 
11 a.m. Pacific. Perfect. So see you guys there. If you could, I am 831 subscribers. I need a thousand to monetize my site so that I can actually put links uh, inside my Twitter cards or my uh, YouTube cards, which is gay because I was allowed to do it before. And now all of a sudden I'm not. So if you can help me out and hit the subscribe button, like us if you like us, dislike us if you don't. And we'll see you next week on SEO This Week. Yeah.